Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, October the 6th, 2023. It is currently 4.42 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now it's Friday, fast approaching the weekend, right? Some say the, for some of you, you may say the weekend has already begun, but it is Friday. It's right here. It's the, we're right on the threshold of the weekend. Some of you may have already stepped over the threshold. You're in the weekend. And whenever the weekend gets here, I have a tendency to do do this with a lot of Friday broadcasts. I start looking Well, towards Sunday, and start thinking about the church. Earlier today, it was a Friday. What did we talk about? We talked about coffee during worship, coffee in the sanctuary, right? We talked about that. I mean, I'm still in shock that that was literally a Fox News, a Fox News article, right? I mean, I'm still a little shocked. I mean, it must have been a slow news day. There's nothing else going on. Let's talk about a a tweet that a pastor puts out that has like a thousand responses and we're going to make it an entire news article about coffee during worship. But I hopefully, 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 in all seriousness, I tried to take what I, I mean, I could have just made fun of the article, but I tried to take the article and go, okay, I think this is a little ridiculous that this is being covered by Fox News, but we can take it and talk about bigger issues like the regulative and normative principle and uh, how, how your philosophy of worship will determine what maybe people will be comfortable doing in worship. And we talked liturgical versus non-liturgical. I thought we dealt with some pretty good, pretty important issues, but it still dealt with church. So let's let's turn our attention again to what's going to happen on Sundays. Now, I, I tell you all the time, so I'm just going to get full transparency. I, I'm just at a point in my spiritual life where I, at times some may say that I'm jaded, and I understand. Some may say that I'm cynical. I understand. Some may say that I'm a little critical, and I'm more than willing to own up to some of that. But I struggle every single time I'm in a car driving anywhere and I drive past church buildings and I see the building. I'm like, I wonder how much that cost. I wonder how much it costs to maintain that. I I wonder how much it will cost to sustain that. And I wonder with all the cost that goes into maintaining it and sustaining it, what are people actually getting? How much content are they really producing? What what are people really getting? And then on Sundays, I, I have the same mindset when I'm driving to my church because I ask my same my I ask myself the same question. What are what are we really producing at Victory Baptist Church in the middle of nowhere, Texas? What are we really, really doing? What are we really accomplish accomplishing? I ask myself that question all the time. And that's even when that church, I mean this podcast is associated with that church currently. I mean so in that sense that our church is producing, you know, thousands of hours of content. I mean, we do almost a thousand episodes a year. So that's like a thousand hours of content a year just from the podcast. So I think we do maintain a lot. So I think that church does, we're we're producing something, at least I think so. Some could question the quality. They could not question the quantity, but, but so, but, but even then I still have this thought. Now, typically this thought happens to me when I'm driving away from church. But when I get in the car to drive away after Sunday, I I always just ask, I wonder, did that mean anything? Was, I mean, we all showed up. Everyone said, hello. We may, we sung some songs. We may have offered a prayer. What, maybe we took the Lord's Supper, whatever we did, we preached a sermon and, and then everyone says, okay, great. Maybe some people say good sermon. Maybe people don't say a word. And then everyone gets in their car and drives home. And I'm always asking, I wonder, I wonder, did it mean anything? Did it accomplish anything? And then as I'm driving home, when I drive past other churches, I'm like, there was all kinds of people there. And then they left. Did it accomplish anything? Is anything going to be remembered? And of course, I talk about this all the time. Statistic after statistic after statistic shows that 
No one really really remembers what was preached. You preach on Sunday morning. By Sunday night, most of the people have already forgotten half of the half of the things that were that were preached. By Wednesday, nobody even remembers the sermon from Sunday. So you, so by Wednesday, no one remembers the sermon from Sunday morning. By Friday, nobody clearly remembers the sermon from Sunday night. And by Sunday, nobody remembers the sermon from Wednesday. And it's just like this never ending cycle of have a service, preach a sermon, have a service, preach a sermon, and what is literally. Really Really, really, really happening now. Now, maybe I'm a little jaded, but but I but I do struggle with this, and I'm very much struggling this Friday because I know on Sunday that I I, I you know we we've started this series on the tabernacle, and I and I think we did really I think we did okay in dealing with issues surrounding typology because we're about to deal with the tabernacle. I think we did a pretty good job there. I think I'm 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 not saying it was perfect and it could have been organized better, but I think overall we raised some very important questions and I challenged the way most people handled typology and offered a different approach and then laid out how we're going to move forward that I'm going to take my approach to typology, but I'm at the same time I'm going to acknowledge how other people approach typology when it comes to the tabernacle and then we'll take their approach and use it as a hypothesis and then we'll test it and then we will see. But to actually get started, I have this idea of kind of going through maybe, you know, going to Genesis 3, then jumping jumping to Exodus 32, 33, 34, and 35. And and there's a kind of a, 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 a direction I want to go, but I don't really know how to put it together. Like right now, it's a mess. It's like a, a mess. So I'm really struggling with the structure to use. So while I'm sitting here struggling with exactly how to put it, you know, what, you know, in some ways it's like, no matter what I do, is it really going to matter? Like, how do I structure this? Well, while I'm sitting there doing all of that, I'm sitting here in the studio. I'm sitting here in the studio. And then... I have a, which, which issue is this? Let me look here. Let me go back to the, I have the September 20th, 2023 edition of the Sword of the Lord. The September 20th, 2023 issue of the Sword of the Lord. And I just, I just, I had, I had it open. I wasn't really paying any attention. It's just laying over on the table. And I look down and I see this, this title. One point preaching. One point preaching. And I'm like, one point preaching. Okay. I wonder what that's about. I, I know, I know I need to be working on Exodus and the tabernacle and I know, but, but one point preaching. I'm like, okay, they're going to offer some thoughts on preaching. And so I just picked it up. I folded it over and I read the first paragraph. Are members really listening to your sermons? <laughs> okay. Are members really listening to your sermons? And so I'm going to start talking. Probably not. Are, 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 are people really listening to your podcast? Probably not. Right. Like I just start. I, now, now I start going all full blown dramatic and, you know, pity party. Like, you know what? Does it even really matter how I put the, I could, I could stand up Sunday and go, and that probably be just as effective as saying, all right, guys, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 32 and see in Genesis three, see God walked in the garden. He dwelt among men, but then they sinned and they were put out. So there was a separation between man and God because of sin. How, when would God dwell amongst men again? And if he does so, why? And how does he pull it off? And then, and then we go through Exodus 32 and 33 and 34. And then we we have this tent of meeting. Is that the same thing as the sanctuary? Why is it outside the camp? Because at some point it's moved inside the camp and start trying to deal with all of these issues related to the tabernacle. And I'm like, what, what, I could sit there and spend hours working through that. Is it going to have any more effect than me just standing there going, or would it have the same effect as just canceling church and saying, we're not even going to have church? Now, I know that's a jaded way of looking at it, but I'm not the only person who raises those questions because right here, are members really listening to your sermons? Do your messages resonate with them? Are people being fed? Are your sermons helping them? These are probing questions that deserve honest answers. By studying the preaching of Jesus, we can determine how the sermons were effective. Now, so, so they, they've got a, they've got a hypothesis here, right? So first they put forth probing questions. Basically, are we really accomplishing anything in our preaching? 
Are people really listening? Are they really going home and taking anything with it? What are they really getting from the sermons? What are they really getting? Now you, you have, and I think pastors fall into different camps. You got, you got some pastors. I think they're typically younger. I think they're typically younger. I could be wrong, but this is just my thinking. I think you've got the type of pastor who's younger. He's energetic. He's a little naive. He's zealous. And oh, I love the passion. I love the fire. I love the dedication. It's great. But he thinks that, oh man, I preached that and the people were eating it up and they were loving it. Oh yeah. And he, and his mind, like the, the people, the people think it's the greatest thing in the world and they're going to remember it. I don't know when the day is going to come and he's going to get slapped in the face one day and realize nobody remembers anything you preach and nobody really cares. Okay. But, but I see now that's me. That's oh, so there's the, there's the, there's the, uh, zealous young naive one. Then I think you have kind of the, we'll call it the middle age pastor. And I'm not saying they're, they're bio, they're biological age, but they're maybe age in the ministry. You got kind of a newer pastor and you got one in the middle and they become a little bit more a little bit more guarded, a little bit more like struggling. They're kind of this into struggling. Like they, they want to believe that people are eating up their sermons and are loving them. But at the same time, they've become burned a little bit, maybe are a little bit not so sure. They're struggling. They're, they may be looking to go to uh, conferences to figure out a new technique. They may be buying some books on preaching to see if there's a way they could change or improve. They're, they're, they're really trying to figure out. They're, they're kind of like right there in that maybe they're, they're not so sure. They're not so naive. They have a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more experience. And now they're a little bit more like, oh, I don't know. And then you have the more older pastor, again, not, not biologically, but time and ministry. And they tend to be a little bit more like, you know what? I could sit in my study and study for 17 hours, or I could reach over and grab a devotional, grab a devotional, look at the passage, read the devotional, write down two or three points, get up there and preach the sermon, especially if I make it a little shorter, 30 to 40 minutes, I'll probably get even a better reaction. People will love it even more than 14 hours of study. And they become much more jaded, much more cynical, and they either become bitter or they just accept that's the way it is and don't really care. Just, hey, this is my job. This is how I get paid. And then you say, that's horrible. I'm just telling that. That's what happens when you're young and energetic and passionate. You're like, oh, I'm going to study 20 hours and the people are going to eat this up and the people are going to love it. And the people, are gonna, it's going to be great. And then you get a little further down. Like, I don't even know if people remember what I was, I was preaching. And then you may start trying to investigate and then you start finding out. Ooh, these people don't remember anything. And so you start thinking, well, I wonder if I could do this. And I want to, and you're still, you're still trying to figure out. And then after a while you realize, you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But they put forth the, these probing questions. Now, these are questions pastors have to ask, but they really are questions you sitting in the pew. How much are you really getting from the sermon? Come on, how much? How much are you really taking away from it? How much do you meditate on it? How much do you talk about it? How much do you review it? How much does it even really stick with you? I mean, just stop right now. Stop right now what you're doing. Stop right now. It is It is October the 6th. Just pick, I mean, in fact, I'm going to pull up a calendar really quick. I'm just going to pull up a calendar, right? Now, we can be brutally honest with ourselves right now, right? We can be brutally honest, right? Now, you can be honest with yourself. You don't need to tell me. You don't need, please don't tell me, but you can be brutally honest with yourself, right? I'm going to pull up a calendar here. I'm going to pull up a calendar, all right? Um, Let's just pick Sunday, September the 24th, what was preached? Sunday, September the 24th, what was preached? Now, you may remember the series, you're like, you know, if your church has been going through Romans for five years, you're like, okay, it's on Romans. Do you remember the chapter? Do you remember the verse? Do you remember any of what was the main thesis of the sermon? What was the main thesis? What did you take away from it? What stood out to you? What spoke to you? Well, do you remember the verses from which the text that the sermon was based? That was September the 24th. Now, I know if I go further back, I know if I go further back, let's just go, let's go to August. I bet you can't even remember a sermon that was preached in August. Now, if I jump to October the 1st, which was Sunday, 
Do you remember? It's Friday. Do you remember what was preached on Sunday? Come on, meaningfully, anything, anything. Now, if, if, you're, if you don't, why not? Now, look, it could be, you, now, there, whenever we ask ourselves, are members really listening to your sermons? If the people aren't listening, why not? Is that the pastor's fault? Or is the people's fault? Whose fault is it? Where does the blame lie? Because blame is always going to be assigned, right? If the people in the pew are not getting anything from the sermon, they blame the pastor. If the people aren't getting anything from the sermon, the pastor will blame the people. <laughs> Whose fault is it? So are they listening? Do your message, messages resonate with them? Now, here, I'm going I'm to pose a question. Is it my job? Is it the job of a pastor to ensure that my message resonates is it my job to ensure a sermon resonates with people? Is that is that the pastor's job? Now the word resonate, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna look up the definition because I cannot be 100% dogmatic about what the the actual dev- definition of the word. I have an idea. Resonate, produce or be filled with a deep, full, reverberating sound. All right. Uh, produce elect- electrical or mechanical resonance. Okay, that's that doesn't doesn't help me. Resonate. Here here is another one. To produce or exhibit a, a resonance. To respond as if by resonance. To have a repetitive pattern that resembles resonance. To relate harmoniously. Strike a chord. All right. Okay. That that's not super helpful. All right. Uh, to resound, all right, to act as a resonator, all right, that's, um, let's see if we can get a deeper idea. Um, resonate here to produce, increase, or filled with sound. It, I think the idea is that it, it does something inside of you. It's the, it, it touches you. It, 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 it means something. You carry it with you. That's the best way I can try to explain it. I mean, they, they just use that word. Are members really listening to your sermons? Do your messages resonate with them? Are people being fed? Are your sermons helping them? So is it my, is it the pastor's job to make sure, you're, does this resonate with you? Do you feel it? Do, are you being filled with it? Does it, does it do something? Does it help you? Well, when a pastor crafts a sermon, what should he be focused on? Now, the people in the pew a lot of times will say, because you've been going to church, what he should care about is being faithful to God's word. Well, <laughs> I, I, I honestly believe that's just all talk. Because what people, because at least when I, when anytime I ever get the phone call on a Monday and someone says we need to talk, I know what's coming. They did not like the sermon on Sunday. And, and, and even though they say, you know, hey, hey, just be faithful to the word. No, what, what I'm going to hear ultimately is they don't like it. They didn't like what I said. They didn't like what I taught. Whatever the case may be. And so really it comes down to, no, my job is to please them. Now, they would never say that. They always get, they always, no, no, no. I'm not telling you you have to please me. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You are telling me that. Are members really listening to your sermons? Do your message resonate with them? Are people being fed? And are your sermons helping them to resonate? What do you think? What do you think? Do you, is it the pastor's job to do that? So when, let me just ask you, if you go a couple of weeks or months, and I mean, just looking back right now, if you can't remember what was preached two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I mean, in any meaningful way, any meaningful way you can remember, I mean, you may be able to remember, let's see, we were studying, you may be able to get something, but I'm saying if you have a hard time remembering any of the actual elements of the sermon, whose fault is it? Where does the fault lie? Now, this article is going to put forth a a hypothesis. They're going to argue that if we basically follow the pattern of Jesus preaching, then we could determine how his sermons were effective. They're saying Jesus' sermons were effective. They were effective because of the way he preached. I'm going to... 
I, I'm going to push back a little bit. From a human perspective, were the sermons of Jesus truly effective? From a human perspective. Because I, all I know is he preached for three years and at the, to- the sum total of the human reaction to that preaching was something like this. Crucify him. Crucify him. We will have no king over us other than Caesar. Give us Barabbas. To me, (laughs) the end result of three years of the eternal son of God preaching was crucify him. Give us Barabbas. What what, what do you think? do, Do you think that's, do you think I'm being jaded here? Do you think I'm being cynical? Three, because they're saying, hey, hey, see, if we'll study the preaching of Jesus, we can determine how his sermons were effective. But I would say, were his sermons effective? I mean, there was a time a bunch of people were following him, but they were following him because he gave them bread. They were following him because of miracles. They weren't following him because they're like, that's the best preaching I've ever heard. I can't wait to hear another sermon. They were like, he feeds people supernaturally. He heals people. He raised people from the dead. Whatever the case may be, he gives sight to the blind. He makes the lame walk. Were people flocking to him because they're like, we want preaching. We want preaching because his sermons were so effective. Their hypothesis is his sermon was a, a, that we need to look to Jesus and we and if we can take what he did, that our sermons can be effective too. But I'm sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute. If my sermons are as effective as Jesus' sermons, then I don't know if it's going to be this Sunday or next Sunday, but somewhere in, within about a three-year period of preaching like Jesus, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to hear, crucify him, crucify him. I don't know if that's the effect I want. Now, you could argue that's still effective. Let's see what they have to say. In Luke 15, three parables are given. It is sometimes called the lost and found chapter of the Bible. The three parables consist of a lost lamb, a lost coin, and a lost son. What is the point of these parables? There is one primary point. Jesus is rebuking the scribes and Pharisees for murmuring about his association with publicans and sinners. He is concerned for all lost people and wants them to be saved. There are many applications to this passage, but clearly there is one main point. Now, this seems to be making an argument that, see, Jesus, basically his sermons had one main point so that we would be better, that uh, we could be more effective as preachers if we would take whatever we're going to look at and reduce it to one main point. Because if we do, then maybe it would be effective. People may remember it. They will be helped and they will be spiritually fed. So let me ask you, again, the, the, the only people who can ever really address this, I've said this a million times, preachers cannot figure this, preachers should not even address this. It should really be the people in the pew, but you need the people in the pew to be painstakingly honest, even if it hurts the way they look. People in the pew sometimes will not be honest, right? I wish I wish everyone in the pew would be honest because sometimes if they were br- brutally honest, if they were just brutally, brutally honest, um, it would probably make them look very unspiritual and they don't want that. But I wish some people would just say, look, I don't care if you give me three points. I don't give you one point. I think the whole preaching concept is boring. I don't get it. I don't know why God tells us to come to church to listen to someone stand up there and preach and teach. I don't like it. I don't like going to school and listen to someone lecture. I don't like going to church listening to someone lecture. I don't learn that way. I don't like it. it drives me crazy. It's boring. And I would rather be doing anything else other than the world than sitting in the church listening to someone talk for an hour. Now, nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to say that. But I'm telling you, the whole concept of you coming into a building, sitting there, and then I stand up and say, open up your Bibles, and then we're going to be doing this, and we're going to be taking this apart and taking this apart. There's some people who eat that up. 
because they love education. They love learning. They love maybe the lecture. They love that kind. And there's other people, let's just be honest, they didn't like it in school. They loathed it in school. They hated it. They don't want to sit. They don't want to open a notebook. They don't want to take notes. They don't want to be looking up Greek, Hebrew. They don't care about what was happening in 1452 or 1517. They don't care if that was a Greek word or a Hebrew word. They, 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 they may believe in Jesus. I'm not by any means calling into question someone's salvation, but that's just not their thing. Well, then in that case, there's nothing to do. So if I said, if I, if I reduce my preaching to one point, maybe it would be more effective for them because they could remember one point. But would it be effective? If I if, Think about the sermons you listen to. If they were reduced to just one main point, here's the main point, the end. Like we're going to look at the text, the main point of this, we're not going to worry about the questions, the difficulties. We're not, no, we're just going to reduce it to one main point. Or maybe maybe one main point and two applications, whatever the case may be. Would that make it more effective for you? Only, only the people in the pew can answer this. I can't answer it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lists many godly attributes and aspects of Christian living. But even though there are many specific admonitions in these three chapters of Matthew, Jesus has one main point, how followers should conduct themselves in his kingdom. Oh my. See, now there's the problem. They reduce it to one main point and I believe they completely miss the entire point. I, that's another thing. We never are going to agree even what the main point is on a passage. I don't believe the main point of the Sermon on the Mount is how followers should conduct themselves in his kingdom. I believe the main point is here is God's law and it demands perfection. And when you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you should be like, woe is me. I can't do this. I'm undone. I'm condemned. Isn't it amazing that we can't even agree on what the main point is? All right, let, let's go to the next paragraph. Then it says, what is your style of preaching? Oh, oh, now, now, it, now it's turning to the preacher. Now it's turning to the preacher. Now I've already, I think I can clearly indicate that the Sermon on the Mount, they completely just mess up because I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, it's in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It demands perfection. It's not like, hey, here's how you should live. This is like, no, here's God's standard for your living and you can't keep it. So therefore you need an imputed righteousness, but we could get into all of that. But then it turns, so, but it, so it, it's hypotheses. If we're going to break it down, it's thesis is simply this. Reduce your sermon to one point, it's effective. It'll be as effective as the preaching of Jesus. The Jesus preaching was effective because it had one main point. And so if you and I will reduce our sermons to one main point, then everyone will remember. So let me ask you, if your pastor would have reduced the sermons preached in the month of September to one point each sermon, would you be able to now to tell me all the point, all those individual points from those sermons that were preached in September? Now, I think typically the people who do remember, this is, this is my, here's my thesis, here's my hypotheses, are the people who do remember are the people who come to church with a notebook, a pencil, and they write it all down because they've heard it, they've written it. The Air Force did a study, uh, and we, we were given this information because in, in the United States military and the United States Air Force, if, for those who don't know, what, so you go to basic training. After basic training, you go to your technical school. You got to pass your technical school or your military career is over. You have tests and you're being trained for whatever job you're going to do. Then after tech school, you're sent to your first base. Once you're sent to your first base, you are given basically now a curriculum that you have to do. You have to do these, these curriculums. That's the curriculum and it requires reading and then there are test. If you don't do this, well, you, you, you could possibly, your career should come, can come to an end. So as a supervisor, you're the one who takes the, the curriculum, you know, the, the book that you give them. Right? And you say, here you go. They have to read it. Then you, then as a supervisor, you come back, you may give them a practice test to see how they're doing. They get the test. If they fail this after, I think two failures, I think it's two failures. I mean, basically they're in trouble. Their career, they could, they, their career could be over. Their career could be over. Well, the military is like, okay, now this is what you're going to have to get them to do. You're going to have to get them to read it. 
Now, the military was also big in having them highlight it. So when they would bring in their book, you would want to see all the highlights. My thing is they need to read it. They have to take notes. They have to take notes. Okay, then they take a practice test. And then if they failed the practice test, then there's all. But it was all based on this concept of reading it, writing it, seeing it, uh, because the more you did this, the more you could retain. Right. So I know that's a a over oversimplification of the whole whole process. So those who are in the military don't say, well, you know, it's called this. And I understand all of that. I'm just I'm trying to explain it to people who may not have any uh, knowledge of the military, trying to make it simple. Not trying to use the acronyms and everything else. All right. All right. I think it's career development, CDC, career uh, development curriculum, I think is what it was called. All right. But it's um, it's the idea is you have to pass this. So you give them, you've got to read it. You've got to highlight it. Now you're going to have to write it. Then you're going to do a practice test. And if you miss the practice test, now you've got to go back and find the answers in the, in the, in the curriculum. And then I want you to write it all out. And I did all of these things to ensure that no, no, none of my troops ever failed it. None of them. I, I, they hated having to do it the way I made them do it because I made them write and write and write. I would make them write like if they on the practice test for every question they failed or even sometimes in the book, it would give them a practice test. I would tell them before we even took the practice test, take the practice test and the book, you got to write down each question five times and write out the answer five times. Oh, they hated bringing those notebooks back to me. But you know what? When it's time for the test, boom, 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 90s. Uh, I don't think anyone ever scored under a 90 who was one of my troops because I made them write and I made them read. Repetition, 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 repetition. They loathed it, but they retained it. Well, I think those who typically remember sermons are those who write, who listen, they write, and then some will actually then talk about the sermon after. I mean, some have you ever tried to talk to people about a sermon after church? Sometimes it's like, it was good. It was okay. And you're like, okay, oh, well, never mind, never mind, never mind. But those who, who listen, who write, who t- discuss, who then review, they will retain. So is it the pastor reducing it to one point or is it the people in the, where, where is the problem with the lack of retention? Where is the problem where the sermon not having an impact? Who, where's the flaw? Is the flaw, where is it, where is it? So then they turn it back to the people here. All right. What is your style of preaching? Is there always one main point to the message? I learned soon after being saved that every message should accomplish one of two tasks. Now, here's what, so, so they asked me, does my sermons only always have just one point? Now, I, I will agree. There are times that I will try to emphasize one major point, maybe at the beginning. And a lot of times I may try to try to restate one main point at the end. I do sometimes try to drive home one main point. But sometimes I don't. And I, because I'm, but I am always worried because I'm always trying to like, and sometimes you'll hear me say, look, if you forget everything else, take this away. I try to give someone at least something. I try my best. But is that really the key? Now, according to this article, they say that um, every message should accomplish one of two tasks. And you tell me if you agree with this. Or, well, you can just say it to yourself or you don't have to answer me. But here we go. Just think this through. Every sermon should accomplish one of two tasks. Number one, either keep something from breaking down or fix something that is broken. Either keep something from breaking down or fix something that is broken. After your sermon is prepared, you should ask yourself, what is the main point of my message? What am I trying to fix in the people's lives that may be broken? Or what am I doing to prevent them from future problems? I say, I don't know if every message is supposed to try to fix what may be broken or to try to keep things from breaking. I don't know if every message, look, if I'm preaching on the tabernacle on Sunday, I don't t- sit there and think I've got to figure out what can be broken in their life and what I could try to keep from being broken. No, my job is to make sure we understand the tabernacle. My job is to ensure that now I will, I am trying to prevent wrong hermeneutical concepts being utilized in the interpretation of the tabernacle. I am trying to ensure to people to avoid abuses of typology. 
So maybe there, maybe there is something to that. But I, but to me, the main thing, the past, the sermon or every message is to accomplish is can do the people walk away with a greater understanding of the subject matter of the passage of the, do they understand it? You say, well, well, what about, what about you got to get them to do, you got to get them to act. No, I got to make sure they understand the action should flow from right understanding. My job is to make sure they understand the text. Now I may, I may apply it in certain cases. I say I don't know if I agree with that that philosophy. What 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 if you were to say if if you were to write it this is you sitting in the pew. What do you think ever what are two things you think every message should do? What are two tasks every message should accomplish? When you go to church, what are two two things that message should accomplish in your mind. Like, and again, this is, I think there's a, a divide between person in the pew and, and person in the pulpit. The pu- person behind the pulpit would go like, this is the main, these are the two things every message must accomplish. But I think the people in the pew may be going, no, what I want the message to accomplish are, are these two things. And if some people were honest, they would be like, I hate to say it, entertain me and be short. What should they accomplish? So, so, but it, 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 this is a good exercise for me because I need to ask, what do I want to accomplish on Sunday? I see. Sometimes I think I have a clear thing I want to accomplish, and sometimes I'm just thinking, I just want you to understand this. I, I, so I don't, I don't know. It says preaching should always have an aim that should resonate with your people. There's this idea of resonance and resonating, right? And again, that resonate is like fuel with, filled with sound. It resonates within. In other words, it, it's got to do more than just uh, be information that goes in one ear and not the other. It needs to resonate. I, I'm trying to think of it that way, f- being filled with sound, feeling the sound, being touched by it. The, shep- the shepherd's job is to feed the sheep. People need more than information, exclamation point. All right. So they're like, hey, 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 I got to resonate. I got to feed. I got to do more than just give them information. Now, here's the question. When it comes down to the pastor has to give people more than information, then, then, then what technique does he use to supposedly resonate? And to suppo- what am I feeding them with? with? Aren't they being, if I'm going to feed them, don't they have to be fed with information? I'm not so sure about this, but let's see which direction they go. Here we go. Giving people information about the Bible suggests they do not know their Bible, but often people already know a lot about the Bible and you're not helping them by telling them what they already know. They must be, there must be a challenge to apply what they know. So what he says is, hey, most people know it. I don't know. Statistically, we know that people don't know near as, as much as we think they know. Biblical illiteracy is at an all time high. We, we've been, I've been saying that my entire life. But he says, so, so my, so I, if they know it, I, I can't, I don't focus on them knowing it then. I focus on them doing something. I got to challenge them to apply it. So he thinks application trumps our application over information. Application over information. I don't know. What do you think? Application or information? I think most sermons are already too application driven as it is. I I think so many sermons are application, 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 and they leave much of the text not really dealt with, not really figured out. There'll be things in the text that are difficult, that raises questions, that are problematic, and it'll be like, no, okay, hey, hey, here's a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this, boom, here's your three points of application. Now, when you leave here, do this, do this, do this. But if you get, if you take all the points of application people are given in a year in a church, how much do you think they actually do? Do 
Do you want more application or do you want more information? What do you actually do with the application? Do you even remember the application? If your if your pastor gives points of application, what were the points of application given in the month of September in the sermons that you heard? What were the points of application and what have you done with them? In his preaching, Jesus used many illustrations found in everyday life. Illustrations help to illuminate uh, people's minds and help them understand how truth can be applied to their daily lives. Another aspect of Jesus' teaching is that he never contradicted scripture. Many times he explained the meaning of Old Testament passages and frequently started at, stated as it is written, meaning it, it is written in the Old Testament. His teaching was consistent with the word of God. All right. Then they go on to say this. Another method of preaching that should be carefully studied is the use of argument, which was typical of the Apostle Paul. We see an example in his style in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 through 15. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ, if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then you're preaching, uh, vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead, uh, the dead rise not. So he's like, Hey, you can use illustration. You can use argument. All right. Because this will make your preaching effective. Use illustration, use argument. Preachers been using illustration and argument forever. I don't know if that makes it any more effective. And then it ends with this paragraph. The goal of preaching is not to give people, I'm sorry, the goal of preaching is to give people something from the Bible that God has impressed upon you to meet the needs of your members. So what should be driving the preaching is what God has impressed upon me that will meet their needs. So the needs of the people is king. I don't believe the needs of the people is king in preaching. I'm going to, I'm, 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 I'm going to, no. What is king in preaching is the text and being faithful to the text and being able to present to it the difficulties, the, tr- the, tr- the struggles with it so that people can know it because it's knowing the word of God that I think is the first goal. Now, I don't think it's the application of it, and I don't believe it's people's needs. The goal of preaching is to give people something from the Bible that God has impressed upon you to meet the needs of your members. Through prayer and study, you can feed your flock. If you can give people one point, they will remember and one they can apply to their daily lives. You have done your job, but if if you give them information, the sheep may look for another pastor or pasture. I I said pastor, pasture. They're talking like the sheep is going to go find another field. I was saying they're going to go find another pastor. I was doing a little play on words there. Pasture, pastor. What do you think? Do people leave their church to go find another pasture? I'm I'm leaning over here to plug something in because my iPad is going to die, right? Do people leave church? Because they're like, all I get here is information. I need something more. I need an application. I need need a one-point sermon, one point I can remember, and one point I can apply. One point for both, I guess. The sermon just needs one point so that, that that they can apply to their life. Now, in some ways, I want to criticize this. On the other hand, who am I to criticize? From a human perspective, I'm the biggest failure in the history of ministry. But I just refuse to follow this template. I think there's got to be people out there who wants more than just one point of, of, hey, we're going to preach on Ezekiel 7. I'm going to reduce it to one point, and I'm going to make sure it's a point of application. I 
I know that that the, the mentality is people show up to have their needs met, but who know, are their needs always genuine? Because I've heard people say things to me, criticizing me. Well, I just want a church that preaches the gospel. The, the, whenever I hear that, whenever I've heard that criticism to me, I lose it because I, I just know what more, what, what, what fraudulent nonsense are you going to give me? We have emphasized the doctrine of justification by grace alone through faith alone. We've emphasized a righteousness that is apart from the law, but by faith alone and imputed righteousness. We've talked about justification, propitiation, imputation, all of the different elements of the gospel, all the different, and it'll be like you didn't preach the gospel. What do they mean by that? They can never articulate what they mean by that. What they mean by that is they want a nicely crafted little sermon that has three little points and a nice little prayer an illustration at the end and so and that they're done in 30 to 45 minutes they don't want this deep theological uh, taking the text apart challenging it trying to figure this out and what about this and and no, they don't want that well i wish they would just say i don't want information i want to feel something I want my needs to be met. I may not be able to articulate what my needs are but you better meet my needs because if you don't meet my needs i'm going to go find another filled. Now that's okay. I think I think it's perfectly to say what I want is this. I may think that what you want is crazy, but it's better that you get what you want than being someplace that you don't want to be. What do you think? What what's the answer? Again, millions of people are going to go to church on Sunday. They're going to fill up the parking lots. They're going to go in. Someone's going to open the Bible and they're going to preach. They're going to preach the word. Some people will open Bibles. Some people will not even bother. Some people will take notes. Many will not. And then church is over. Did, I'm going to go back to the opening paragraph. Did the people, did all those people, did they really listen? Did the message really resonate? Were the people really being fed? Did the sermon really help? them. Now, I'm looking at all of that and now I'm even much more concerned because I don't know what I'm going to do Sunday. I really don't. I really don't know what I'm going to do. Part of me is like, could I could I take uh, Exodus 33 and reduce it to one point? Could I take Exodus 34 and reduce it to one point? Could I take Exodus 35 and reduce it to one point? In some ways, I am going to emphasize one point over all the things in it because I'm not doing an expositional approach. I'm trying to connect it to the, trying to lay the foundation for why a tabernacle. Is that, is that going to be beneficial? I don't know. Is it going to meet the needs of the people? I don't know. To me, everyone has one need. This is the Bible, and you need to understand it and know it. Is it going to meet every emotional need? I doubt it. Every personal need? I doubt it. Do people come to church to have their needs met, or do they come to church to hear the word of God, which should be the greatest need? I don't know. You can tell me what you think about this article. It's called One Point Preaching. One Point Preaching. It's in the September the 20th, 2023 edition of the Sword of the Lord newspaper. I don't know if I have, I don't know. I don't put it this way. I'm sorry, hitting the microphone there. I don't know if I have the answer. I know some churches more people are there than other churches. Is it the preaching? I don't know. I don't know. I think a church with 15,000 people, I don't think the people are, are retaining the sermon any more than the church that has five people. But the one with 15,000 or the one with 15,000 people are more successful. They got money, they got resources, and they are, they, they are looked upon with more respect. The one with five is seen as a failure. They don't have resources and they are, they are used as a, as a joke, as a, as a mocking. People will mock it. People will make fun of it. But I would rather have a church with five where the people want it, they desire it, they retain it, they love it, and they want it taken apart 
then a church of 10,000, 15,000, and everyone's just there, I don't know, to make friends, get along, I don't know, have potlucks, I don't know. But the thing is, five people may not retain it any more than the 15,000. I know the reason articles are still being written like this in 2023 is because pastors and churches still struggle to figure out what to do. And that's why they created small groups, because they felt like, hey, we can't accomplish a lot of this from the pulpit. So if we do small groups, we can accomplish this. We can. Ac- but what are you accomplishing? Getting people the word of God more or are you accomplishing people's desire and need for relationship, friendships, companion, community, which, I, which obviously sermons are not going to meet those. Needs. I don't know. You can let me know your thoughts. It's Friday. You'll be at church on Sunday. I've said it before. You guys are the experts. Those of you who sit in the pew, you're the experts, not the ones who preach. We don't have a clue what we're doing. We're clueless. We're always reading every book, every theological journal, every idea on how to preach better sermons so that people will remember them, how to, how to impact people greater with your preaching, how to, how to draw a bigger crowd, how to make people love your preaching. They're always trying to figure out, how do I do it? 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 And the real people who have the answer are people in the pew. But sometimes what the answer is, the people in the pew don't want to admit and the people in the pulpit don't want to hear because some people are like, I don't really care what you do. I show up because this is what I'm supposed to do. I don't care to retain it. I don't care to remember it. I'm not going to go home and study it. I'm not going to go home and discuss it. I'm not going to go home and research it. So I don't, I don't do that. I used to think when I was a young preacher after every sermon, give everyone homework. I really thought that. Hey, when you go home today, look up this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And I thought every, I thought every service people would come back going, oh, pastor, I looked up this. And then I realized that's the biggest waste of time in the history of humankind. Then I thought, you know what? I'll give them books or I'll give them devotional guides and everyone will be using it. And then when I come to church on Sunday to preach, whatever one's been, everyone's going to remember it and know it. And then you realize nobody's using that. I saw that in uh, Sunday school classrooms all the way throughout my Christian life. There's, the church spent all this money to give everyone these study guides or these books. And then you're supposed to show up Sunday having read it. And then everyone's ready to engage in a conversation. And then you would immediately within five minutes, like nobody in this class read anything, but they're all trying to give an answer and start making arguments. And you're like, you didn't even read the book. So then what's the point of doing all of that? Sometimes it just comes down to the people in the pew. And again, I, you can tell me, do you believe Jesus from a human standpoint, from a human standpoint? Let me ask you this. Was Jeremiah's preaching effective or was it ineffective? Nobody listened to him. No converts. Everyone rejected him. Was that effective or ineffective? Is preaching only effective if everyone loves it, eats it up? Or is preaching effective when it drives people away? Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great Friday. A great weekend. Hey, Bible study quiz. I, I, uh, Bible study quiz, Bible pop quiz. We dropped that late last night. So don't forget to do the Bible pop quiz. And so today we've talked about coffee and we've talked about preaching. Now you can complete the circle and let me know your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great evening. God bless.